It's NOLA History Guy podcast for Saturday, January 18th, 2020. to the first part of 2020. We're get going and, uh, and have a little fun. Uh, got a few goals in mind uh, for getting things going and getting things moving with the pod for uh, the, at least the first couple of months of 2020. And uh, in particular, we did a couple of things uh, with the, uh, the food blog, with the At Cuisine, uh, looking at stuff in uh, Dr. Richard Collins' restaurant guide, The Underground Gourmet, which came out in 1970. <clears throat> and then his um, New Orleans restaurant guide, which came out in 1976. And uh, it was fun to look back at some of that old stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna uh, incorporate that into the pod a little bit, you know, is with uh, some uh, old restaurant segments and that kind of thing. And uh, in addition to that, uh, we're going to uh, continue to do the, the what we're gonna do today is a photo breakdown. Uh, some of that stuff is just fun taking an old photo that uh you know they're just you know so many neat things that you just catch in a single photo and uh we're going to continue that and then i've got a couple of big projects uh that relate to the writing uh in particular with the with the train stuff uh we'll have a couple of things coming up with that and then the usual things we'll do our um our uh, pick of the week from uh, uh, today in New Orleans history, and we'll, we'll keep going with a few of those things. And so, so uh, to this week for the pod, we've got two big segments. We're going to do a kind of a, a it's not a then and now, but a photo breakdown of two shots that are basically the same area over a forty-year span of time, and we'll break down the two photos and kind of compare some of the things that change inside of them. Uh, and then we'll also, of course, we're going to do our pick of the week as well. So uh, here we go. Let's go ahead and we're going to get started with our first pod. Okay. And uh, our first segment of the new year is going to, we're going to break down two photos. Um, my friend Derby Gisclair, who is an author, historian, and well, uh, historian in general, but baseball historian par excellence in particular. Uh, but Derby's uh, also finding, you know, coming up with some really, really cool photos that he's sharing. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, enlivening up the social media scene a little bit here with, with old photos and history, and it's a real blast. And the other day, Derby posted a, um, posted a shot of the 100 and 200 blocks of Royal Street from uh, 1916. And it was an interesting photo. And then I'm digging through some stuff. Uh, you know, I, I get weird inspirations for some of the themes for, you know, trying to, you know, f uh, come up with some photos and, you know, search terms and everything, in particular with digital collections, are interesting that you can run down some rabbit holes. So I was looking at different lunch counters, and uh, one of the things that popped up was a uh, an, a later photo, basically, of the um, of the same area, the 100-200 block of uh, Royal Street, but from 1956. So Derby's got this photo from 1916, and then here's this photo, basically the same, you know, the, the, the photographer's not standing that uh, far, that much different in the uh, a photo from, you know, pretty much just 40 years later. So it's kind of a neat thing. So let's go ahead, and uh, we're going to break these down. And uh, so the photographer is, uh, in the photographers in both of these cases are pretty much standing in the middle of the 100 block. Well, the, um, in the 1916 photo, the photographer is standing more toward the lake side of Royal Street. And then in the 1956 photo, that photographer is standing more on the uh, riverside. But other than just that little bit of perspective change, 
it's basically the same area and it's a both of them are daylight photos both of them have people walking by down the street going about their business and that kind of thing so it's it's a it's a kind of a pair of neat slice of life type things here so let's start with the older photo and the first thing that that, that basically from if you if you scan if you're you know your eyes are scanning left to right the first thing in the top left corner of the old photo the 1916 photo I should old photo geez the other one's 1956 uh that's you know geez going on 65 years or 64 years now so they're both old photos but anyway in the 1916 photo if you look on the left hand side you see a sign that says at the top of the building now this is in the the building is in the 200 block of Royal. So you can't really see the street at that point, but it's Custom House Street, which becomes Iberville Street over time. Uh, so right there in the 200 block is Solari's Grocery and is a big sign that says Solari. And um, the Solari's Grocery has been around or had been around since 1864. Uh, the original Solari's, the, the, the Solari family, the Solari's opened their grocery in 1864 at uh, Royal and St. Louis. So they opened it several blocks down. And then nine years later in 1873, got uh, moved the grocery closer to Canal Street, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, Canal being the transit hub. Uh, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, that it just made more sense that closer you could get to downtown, you know, as opposed to, you know, coming in even just to St. Louis Street, you know, you're, you're still getting a little bit more of a French Quarter vibe at that point. So the, so the Solaris move uh, in 1873. So basically by, uh, the, by uh, 1916, you're talking about they've been in that location uh, for over 40 years. And uh, the, the Sol Solari's Grocery became basically world-renowned, uh, uh, just recommended in a number of different food publications and uh, tour guides and everything else saying that, you know, this is the place that you want to shop for exotic goods or exotic foods, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, the, the idea being uh, more than anything, the fact that it was a, uh, uh, a Sicilian grocery. Now, of course, you know, 18, 1864, the Solaris uh, were already there, the big Sicilian influx. Uh, the, the family and the grocery were in place by the 1880s there at Royal and Custom House, Royal and Iberville, uh, for the big Sicilian expansion that uh, becomes the, the French Quarter in New Orleans. The, the grocery itself, just incredibly popular, and uh, not only as a grocery, you, know, you can go, you know, just go buy stuff and buy things and, uh, for, for bringing home and cooking and everything, but the, the grocery had a very, very popular lunch counter. So in addition to the goods that were sold, it was essentially a, a, a lunch restaurant, uh, not not a, not a dinner. You know, it was the prime the primary focus of Solari's was the was the grocery part, but the lunch counter was just incredibly popular and uh, incredibly oh, just again world renowned. Uh, literally, people writing about it saying you must go to Solari's. Now that kind of makes sense when you think about it, because uh, in particular, uh, you just all the the trains that converge. When you have the the LNN station down uh, at the uh, at the riverfront, and then by 1908, you have uh, the uh, the Southern uh, Terminal Station, New Orleans Terminal Company, down on Basin and Canal. Uh, so you got the the, the area is kind of bracketed by two big uh, two big train stations. Then the hotels that were just all around it. Uh, well, the, in in the picture, we'll talk about the commercial hotel, uh, commercial slash Montleon Hotel in a moment, and uh, you kind of get the idea that it was just a very very popular place. 
Let's fast forward a little bit to the newer photo, to the 1956 photo. And, um, and the big thing there, you can see that the, the Solari sign on the top of the building is gone. And there's a vertical sign on the front of the building in the 200 block that says Solari's. Now, in 56, the, the store is still kind of going strong. Uh, the, um, the Solari family sold the grocery in 1921, but the new owners retained you know, the reputation of the place so preceded itself, you'd be crazy not to do that. And so they negotiated to keep, to retain the family name, retain the name Solaris uh, for the business, and they just kept the thing going, right? So it's just chugging along. So um, in uh, 1926, there was a big renovation to the building, and it's you can uh, that's where you see the the you know the, the sign change and everything else just going uh, into the 30s and 40s. So by the 50s, the 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 concept of Solaris is still the same, but the focus of the of the the uh, the business is more now on being a restaurant. It was more about being the lunch counter, and that's because after World War II, we see that shift from. Uh, public markets and small groceries to the big supermarkets. People are making groceries at Schwegmans and other, uh, you know, the, new, the the supermarket chains that start opening up in the the uh, in the 1950s. So that by 56, by the late 50s, you've got just a whole bunch of places that are down there. Now that so so essentially, what's happened is that that Sicilian character of the French Quarter after World War II kind of changes dramatically, and uh, it uh, the whole area, particularly that 100 block, basically becomes tied to the. Uh, it becomes tied to to the to the to the hotels for tourism as well as the commercial areas on Canal Street and across Canal Street in the central business district so it becomes one of those places let's go to Solari's for lunch kind of thing when you're working in the you know in the MB office building or you're working on uh you know, on one of the buildings on magazine or on camp, that kind of thing. So you're walking across and you're coming to lunch at Solari's at that point. So this, again, this photo is 1956, and by uh, the building gets sold again in 1961, and the owners of the grocery uh, close for a little while, and they're, they're kind of wandering in the desert a little bit. They actually... Uh, opened in a couple of places. They opened a, a new location on Dryad Street, which is now Aretha Castle Haley, in that, uh, in that business district. And at one point, they even opened a, a satellite grocery in the Maison Blanche building. But by 62, they kind of worked it out with the owners to reopen the Royal and, uh, I, Royal and Iberville location. Uh, but that it's still, it just wasn't, I don't want to say it was doomed, but, you know, it's just one of those things where um, the 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 grocery part just wasn't sustainable at that point. And the business ends up closing for good in 1965. But you can see that, you know, it's basically uh, just moving strong there from 1916 to 1956. Just those 40 years on top of the basically uh, 40 years or so that uh, or, or more that uh, it was that the business had been in so that uh, basically from 18 the 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 Solari's business the Solari family owned the 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 thing from uh 19 uh, from 1864 to 1965 and that's a pretty good run for something in the French Quarter right okay back to the 1916 photo keep going now there's uh Solaris in on the left hand side on the river side of the 200 block and then strung across the street is an electric sign that says Fabachers and that's strung across the street to announce to you know point you to the location of Fabacher's restaurant which is there on the right hand side in the commercial hotel building uh, at 200 uh, in, at 200 Royal now the commercial hotel had been around for some years and in 1886 a 
Sicilian guy who was a, a, a by trade, he was a cobbler. He had uh, his first business was a shoe repair shop in the French Quarter, and he made some money with some real estate investments and other projects and opens up a, a small hotel. By 1886, he's ready to open up an even larger hotel. And uh, that and, and what he, uh, well, doesn't open it. It was already there. He purchases a hotel called the Commercial. And that's what you see in the photos. So Antonio Monteleon buys the Commercial Hotel in 1886. So now that's fast forward now. Uh, 30 years from that, and you see the commercial hotel now there in 1916. What's the deal with the Faubacher sign? Faubachers, the Faubacher family, are the folks that owned the Jackson Brewing Company. And that is, well, that's the, the Jacksbury uh, Mall uh, shopping uh, mall that's the converted brewery over on Decatur by Jackson Square. Now the Faubachers were German brewers. They uh, they saw you know they were gonna build a brewery across the street from Jackson Square. They knew what to name it. They called it the Jackson Brewing Company. Uh, the the Faubachers ran into a problem that is a long term situation, and we, we've talked about this on other pods as the the and, and blogs as the restaurant uh, has come you know into focus for us and different topics. Um, they ran into a problem that a lot of folks have, and that's how do you place your product into established restaurants or into established stores as you go along? Uh, you've got. Uh, you get you, you whether you're, you're a t-shirt business and you decide you know it's like it's try it's hard to break into gift shops so let's open our own that kind of thing. Uh, Pepsi Cola had uh, you know the same situation where Coke was dominating. So what do they do? They go acquire Kentucky Fried Chicken and Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. And that's all you know kind of the corporate entities there have been spun off over the years but the idea was that PepsiCo bought these or you know bought these and expanded these fast food chains so they could place Pepsi drinks into the uh, into the to, to those fast food uh, locations well the Faubachers basically did the same thing they went to uh, the they went to the commercial hotel and said how about we take over the restaurant here and so the Faubacher family opened the, uh, the or took over the restaurant in the commercial hotel. Now, if you're opening a, if you're a brewer and you're opening a restaurant, naturally you're going to sell your beer in the restaurant. So that was an outlet to get people to know Jack's beer. Uh, the, in addition to the Faubacher's restaurant on Royal Street, the family opened a second Faubacher's. It was a a different offshoot, a, a cousin or a brother, I can't remember off the top of my head, um, <clears throat> was a cousin or a brother, opened up a second location on St. Charles Avenue. And so there were two of them. Now, that the St. Charles Avenue location was sold, uh, sold out and eventually became uh, where Cobb's Restaurant was for decades. And then the Faubacher's uh, Restaurant, basically the family was now successful with, uh, with the beer enough that they could kind of sell this out. So basically they gave the space back to the Montleon family at that point. So this photo is from 1916, uh, is from 1916, and you see that the sign, the signage on the hotel then. So the Faubachers is the restaurant in the commercial hotel, and you see a street level sign right above the first floor, kind of wrapping around the corner that says commercial hotel. Then you've got a big sign at the top, and then an electric sign on top of that. Now it's interesting that. In this 1916 photo, all the signage still says commercial hotel because the uh, because the Montleons decided to change the name of the hotel in 1908. But I guess with advertising and the amount of investment that was put into that signage, uh, you know, you just didn't come in and take it down right away. So in at uh, at that point in time in 1916 it was still listed as the commercial hotel so now let's come over and you can see in the 1956 photo uh there's not a whole lot of uh 
there's there's nothing really significant or of interest uh, and that's partly because of the angle. The photographer, the Frank Studios photographer in the 1956 photo is looking down that side of the street. So you see the big Montleon Hotel sign that's, all, that's just above street level, just above the first floor of the hotel. But all of the modern expansions to the hotel have been, uh, have been built out, and it's just kind of... You know, the, the, the facade, the side, the, the, the architecture of the hotel is kind of just boxy at this point with the expansion and rebuilding. Uh, you know, the original hotel uh, was five stories high. Now you can see that the, uh, the, the 1956 version is six, seven, eight, nine, ten stories. So, you know, just the general conversion of the hotel has changed dramatically over those, uh, over those 40 years. So, but it's like, so what caught my eye the most is the signage thing though, that eight years later and it's still up, but I guess it was a branding decision. Uh, when Antonio Montleon, the, the, the patriarch of the family, passes away, I'm sure that had something to do with the family kind of saying, what well, we want to, let's honor Papa and that kind of thing. So you kind of get that idea from it as well. So <clears throat> Faubacher's Restaurant, the sign across the street in the 16 photo, that's the beer people. They take, they're running the restaurant. Uh, now, of course, in the Montleon, you've got the Criollo Restaurant, which is a, a wonderful place to go eat. And, of course, the Carousel Bar has been there for decades as well. One of the other things that stands out well to your to your humble writer to your humble author and podcaster there is a huge thing in uh between uh these two photos that just jumps out at me uh and that is the lack of streetcar tracks in the 1956 photo. This is Royal Street and the idea uh with with Royal Street was that the uh the Streetcar traffic was just huge and a tremendous thing on Royal and Bourbon because that was the that was the path of the desire streetcar line for decades. The streetcars would come up Royal Street. So if you're looking at the 1916 photo, you should you would expect to see a streetcar coming at you at this point. They would come up Royal hit Canal Street, that would be the end of the line. Then they would make the turn from, uh, make the right turn onto the fourth track of Canal Street. Remember, uh, the streetcar tracks in the, uh, in, in the neutral ground and canal were, were four across at this time. So the streetcar would come up Royal, it would get to Canal, would make a, uh, the, the, the motorman would make a right turn, go up toward the lake one block to Bourbon, and then make, that's the 700 block of Canal, basically, and then make the right turn onto Bourbon to then go back down to, you know, down from, uh, from through the French Quarter, through the, through the Marigny and the Ninth Ward, and end up back down on uh, to Desire Street, which, of course, is the end of the line. And at the risk of repeating myself, and we'll, we'll you know, we've, we've talked about this, we've done a, a, a pod, I'll put a link to that, to the Desire Line pod. Uh, does the, you know, the streetcar named Desire, uh, the, it was, the Desire Line got its name because Desire Street down in the Ninth Ward was the end of the line. The big thing for Tennessee Williams, of course, was the fact that he lived on in a in a uh, a three story walk up on Royal. So uh, you know, just he was just you know assaulted by the 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 running the the the, the click clack of those nineteen twenty three vintage streetcars back and forth. Uh, of course, I notice I just said nineteen twenty three vintage Pearly A Thomas streetcars, but if that photo is from nineteen sixteen, they were still running the old single truck Ford Bacon and Davis streetcar. Cars. Uh, there's not one in the photo there, but that's that the that's the model, the uh, uh, NORTA 29, the sand car, the little the smaller street car. That was the model that ran on Desire at the time. So um, a, a minute or two before or a minute or two after that 1916 photo was shot, most likely there was one of those street cars coming by.
The desire line was discontinued in 1948, and the tracks were ripped up. They weren't ripped up immediately, but they're, they're, you can see that by 1956, everything's gone and uh, paved over. And you can see automobiles uh, in the 200 block in the second photo. So that's a big deal, you know, that, that uh, the, uh, you know, you had the old purple and maroon, uh, uh, maroon and uh, maroon and cream uh, Nazi buses that were then running on uh, desire at that point. Keep going. Let's move now. We're kind of making a left to right scan of the photo. So back to the 1916 photo. There's the, uh, the old commercial hotel at uh, the corner of Custom House and uh, Royal. And then if you come closer now into the 100 block, you've got that uh, you've got that building on the corner of Custom House and Royal in the 100 block with those magnificent columns. That was originally a bank building, and initially that building was a um, was a branch of the Union Bank, and at uh, uh, what happened was uh, the, the Union Bank moved out and a second bank moved in, and that was the Citizens Bank. Uh, and uh, that uh, basically, the, you know, one bank moves out, another bank moves in, uh, and the Citizens, uh, Citizens Bank took over the location, and it became a branch of that particular institution. But by 1916, Citizens Bank moved over into the CBD on Gravier Street, so that what you're seeing now is the very first uh, or the early stages where that building was used for commercial and retail space just classic new orleans usage where you've got this big building that's a couple of stories tall you've got office space in the upper floors and in the uh on the um on the ground floor you see george a schroth fine footwear so you've got a shoe store in the bottom floor of the bank building so you've got that retail space there the building next to it I don't have an, uh, a, a clear ID on what that building is in the 1916 photo. Sanborn map from, the, from 1896 shows it as the Auctioneer's Exchange. And uh, you can see there's a, um, there's a bookstore and uh, there's a uh, kind of a kiosk with what looks like it's got either uh, posters or like magazine covers, advertising stuff that you can go pick up in the bookstore. And then there's that pentagram, that five, uh, the five-pointed star that I can't tell if that's a Christmas decoration that's held over. There's really, there's nothing else Christmassy in the, um, there's nothing really Christmassy in the, um, in the photo. You know, just all those electric lights strung there. That was a classic thing of the times because, electrification uh commercial electric electrification starts in the in the uh, 1890s so that by the 19 you know by the 1910s you know by 1916 uh you still have just a whole mess of businesses that are lighting their cell their 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 place of business up with a whole bunch of you know just strings of incandescent bulbs but then there's that star and it kind of looks like a i just can't get a handle on what that is now the sign is cut off it uh the the, the bookstore you can see it says books and then it's kind of faded down at that point and then the sign is kind of like a, a tilish mosaic sort of thing it looks like it says new royal and then i can't it looks like a proprietor's name below it and i can't quite sort it out even zooming in i guess it's it's one of the things you know just one of the things i've been struggling with with identifying old signs lately uh and then of course you can see there's a there's a uh uh, well, you, you, you basically it's just people walking by. There's a looks like a nanny uh, in a in an overcoat. This could be Christmas because that's a pretty you know. And you got those two uh, young girls, so it looks like it's either a mother or a nanny. My mother, my money's on a nanny. And you see those 
two cute little girls uh, in the front in the light colored dresses, and then you've got the woman escorting them uh, in a uh, overcoat with a hat uh, and gloves. So this could be a it could be a Christmassy decoration with the star. And I can't I have to go dig a little deeper and figure out what New Royal was as we go. Fast forward to the uh, to the nineteen fifty six photo and you see that the building the 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 union bank building the citizens bank building uh is just gone and in its place a walgreens drugstore and that's important and again something else i rant about occasionally when you hear the people oh another walgreens taking over and gentrifying or you know changing the neighborhood well now you know the one on, on uh the walgreens at 900 canal has been there since 1938. This one has been there since the late 1940s. It's still a Walgreens, for goodness sake. Uh, you know, New, uh, Walgreens and New Orleans have a very old, long-standing relationship. You know, like that one, uh, that particular store was was built in the late 1940s. So it's easily, you know, it's a good 70 years old, and it's still there, right? You know, the 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 block letters are. Uh, the, the, the block letter sign is gone. The, the, the classic Walgreens neon script is there now, but it's still a drugstore and it's still the Walgreens and all of that stuff. Next to it, you, you, you don't see, you lose, that's where you lose the detail uh, on the, or lose the, uh, the, um, the perspective on the uh, 1956 photo. Uh, basically next to that, uh, to the Walgreens, is going to be the building that has the shoe store and whatever that new Royal is. And that became Gluck's restaurant or that was Gluck's restaurant at that, uh, at that point. Uh, and, uh, then eventually, uh, that building, uh, plus the buildings approaching, uh, you know, coming up closer, uh, coming in further, uh, up the block, towards Canal Street, eventually all come together, and they're a hotel now. Uh, they're Holiday Inn for years, uh, and that's where Deuce McAllister's restaurant is. It was at TGI Fridays through the 70s and the 80s, and uh, former Saints player uh, Deuce McAllister has his restaurant in the hotel now there in the 100 block. And so you can see that just it's interesting to see the just the transition of 40 years, you know, 1916 to 1956, um, as you look at these photos and you, you, if you come up, if you see something else that catches your eye, by all means, uh, just ping us, you know, come to, uh, to NOLA history guy on, on Facebook or, uh, well, actually we'll talk about the new group in a second. Cause kind of have a, uh, you know, kind of an interlude segment. We'll talk about that in a minute, but definitely ping us and let us know what else you come up with on these photos that, that I've kind of missed or, uh, passed over in looking and comparing these two. So that's our that's our breakdown for the week. Let's go ahead. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to explain a couple of changes in social media, and then we're going to do our pick of the week of today in New Orleans history. Back in a little bit. NOLA History Guy is sponsored today by Elysian Fields Press, publishers of Hidden Talents by Edward Branley. New Orleans is hot, humid, spiritual, and magical. Anita Delatore is a junior executive for a publishing company specializing in Christian books and homeschooling uh, materials. Anita's assignment is to be her company's liaison with a New Orleans-based radio preacher whose books the company publishes. A group seeking to discredit their client is all too successful, and Anita must take steps to stop them using any means at her disposal. And Anita's means are formidable. She is a sorceress whose psychic talents extend well beyond those of most mortals. Renard Alciator is a 34-year-old photographer who enjoys using his computer skills to mock Anita's client, the Reverend Jay Hadley. As Ren begins to receive information of financial and sexual improprieties from inside Jay Hadley Ministries, his life is threatened, and in the process, his own talents are revealed. He is placed under the protection of a shadowy organization known as the Assembly as he learns to use his talents to improve his photography, help others when he can, and defend his own life when challenged. 
What were once hidden talents emerge in the hot New Orleans summer. Only one will walk away when duel is joined. ElysianFieldsPress.com. You can buy hidden talents autographed there, signed by the author. Uh, you can order it from all the usual suspects online, and it's available at a number of local bookstores. Uh, again, signed copies of, of Hidden Talents you can get from ElysianFieldsPress.com. That's ElysianFieldsPress, all one word, dot com. And we're back. Uh, just a quick interlude before we do the next segment. I uh, want to talk for a moment about the uh, couple of, of social media changes that we've made with respect to uh with respect to Nola History Guy uh, and uh, and my Yat Pundit blog as well, uh, as you guys well it, yeah you may say as you know you may not know it but um, one of the things over the last year in 2019, uh, Facebook has made some uh, changes in algorithms and that sort of thing uh, so that they've tried to put less emphasis on uh, what they call pages which are uh, business pages business and uh, uh, specific ownership uh, pages uh, and uh, trying to shift the emphasis back to what they call groups. And the idea is that uh, if you if you post something like, for example, uh, I've you know, just now for years have had the NOLA History Guy Facebook page. And then I also have the uh, I have uh, my politics page, which is Yat Pundit, and then the foodie page, which is Yat Cuisine. <clears throat> now, over the last year or so, Facebook has changed the emphasis of these. They're de-emphasizing the pages and trying to get people to put more of a focus onto using the uh, onto onto uh, using creating and working in Facebook groups. So we've kind of followed that trend, and you'll see there's there's three groups that are out there that are related to me, to Ed Branley uh, in particular. The first is the, uh, the the oldest of the three. It's only a few months, right? So it's not like they're they're all ancient or anything. But the the, the first of the three is for the foodie stuff, and it's uh, it's a group called Yat Cuisine. And I've had, you know, uh, the, the story of Yat Cuisine, just come find me at the coffee shop if you're ever interested in social media silliness and, well, not silliness, but details and everything. I'd be glad to tell you the story, to have sit down and have a chat. But uh, long story short, it was back in uh, when Twitter first came about, I had Yat Pundit, and then I spun off the... Um, I spun off the um, the foodie stuff into Yat Cuisine because I'm one of those guys that, you know, some people, yes, people roll your eyes. I'm that take pictures of my food type guy. I'm also, I, I, I do a little bit with cooking and we'll try things in the kitchen and, you know, post a recipe or two. And that was the, that was the, the Yat Cuisine Twitter. And then uh, when Facebook got popular, it became the Yat Cuisine Facebook page. Fast forward to 2019 to last year. And uh, when, um, the when the advocate uh, basically destroyed the Times Picayune, uh, one of the things that when, when we got word that that was going to happen, uh, one of the things that concerned me was what was going to happen to the Where Nola Eats group, and I'm really glad I did this because uh, that group kind of has really suffered a good bit with the um, with the transition because of some personnel changes and everything. But as soon as the word got came down that John Georges had acquired the Times Picayune, uh, the, the this big foodie group of uh, 50,000 people, I was concerned about its future. So I went ahead and made a Yat Cuisine group to augment the page. And the idea was that, you know, it's like I was just, well, the big thing, and I, well, frankly, I was, I was right for a while, and it's still not the greatest, uh, the moderation of the group since the takeover of, uh, you know, the Advocates, uh, you know, uh, holding company has just become a problem. So I didn't know if they were going to just blow the whole thing up because the, well, let's face it, the Advocates social media is a, a shadow of what the um, of what the folks at, at, at the Picayune were doing and NOLA.com. And uh, so so I went ahead and started a group called Yat Cuisine. You're welcome to go find it online and join. Yeah, sure. Come on over. That kind of thing. And then as we're looking at the metrics for the Yat Cuisine group, which has about 3,500 3, people in it, um, 
and we're kind of looking at this and and um, and looking at the performance and everything and saying, yeah, you know, they really are shifting to this group concept. So we went ahead and I uh, created two other groups. One, uh, the this uh, one is. Uh, to augment the politics and uh i it's a it's a weird combination of my yat pundit politics and then my author page which is just a very eclectic group of of stuff and things and it's called yat pundits pub and that is what i call the 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 the, poli the political new orleans kind of current events podcast so all of that is kind of moved over to the yat pundits pub group that's a small group i don't even know if there's 200 people in it yet because it's only about three weeks old in the holiday but you're welcome just like i say uh do a Facebook search on Yat Pundit's Pub and come on in. You know, it's it's a warning, warning. It reflects my politics. So you, you, get, you get the idea there. But that, you know, but that's if you want to do that. Then there is the history group. And of course, you've got all these things going. You know, my friend Mark Bologna has Beyond Bourbon Street podcast, which why aren't you? Well, no, why aren't you listening to this one? So go listen to Beyond Bourbon Street after this one, right? It's Beyond Bourbon ST. Because uh, he didn't, I don't, can't remember why he didn't break it. He told me why he didn't break it in, didn't spell out street, but there's a, there's a story there. Anyway, Beyond Bourbon ST is Mark's podcast. And then he's got, a, so he's got a page for that. And then he's got a page that's the Beyond Bourbon Street crew. And so I kind of wanted to do the same thing with NOLA History Guy. We've got like 7,000 people that are, that have liked and follow the NOLA History Guy page. But that's great if you're following me or you want to link to the pod. Or you want the pictures that I post every day. That's fantastic and thank you very much. But if you have something of your own that you want to contribute to New Orleans history and to the whole NOLA History Guy theme, there was no place for you to post it because if you try to post something to someone else's page, it goes into a dark black hole, which is exactly what corporations and everybody else want. They don't want complaints showing up. So it all goes off into the into the void kind of thing so that's when we decided let's make a history let's make a new orleans group that fits that that's that is in that would uh augment and be in conjunction with nola history guy as a page uh it doesn't have the same name it the 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 name of the group is new orleans uncovered and that's because there's a group of folks that have an an umbrella of the of these uh, groups that are all named uncovered. Uh, there's uh, there's Vintage America Uncovered, which is my my personal kind of home away from home with you know different ephemera and old, old pictures and everything else but you know spanning the country kind of thing then there's human history uncovered which is a little more deeper and it's also international there's women's history uncovered and you kind of get the idea so i went to my friend jd roberts who is one of the big movers behind the uncovered groups and i said you know hey uh, what if if I were to make a New Orleans uncovered? Can I, can I get into the to the uncovered umbrella kind of situation? And JD's like, sure, you know. So he sets the whole thing up, and we get it all going and everything. And so it, the the group is called New Orleans Uncovered. Uh, search for that on Facebook, and think of it as the um, the group version of Nola History Guy. Now it's got a little bit of a broader. Uh, of a broader charter than just history, you know, that kind of thing. So it's got a few things other than that, you know, like, a, you know, musician, you know, we invite musicians to a post, tell us where you, where you're playing. If you're an artist, you know, you've got something out there. You know, in other words, there's a little bit of promotional and salesy things in there as well. Uh, we also encourage discussion. Like, you know, if you're new to the, if, if you're not from New Orleans, but you're coming and you want some recommendations, I love talk like that. You know, so long as it's, it's, as long as it's polite and, you know, we kind of keep the, the grumpy old racists out, I, I'm, I'm all for it, you know. And so that's the idea. So, again, the, the group is called New, or New Orleans Uncovered. And, uh, and I think you'll like, I think you'll have fun. Come on in and, and join us. Uh, like I said, I, I post the, the history stuff there as well as to the page. If you're not a group person, you're not a con conversationalist, you're more than welcome to stick with, uh, with the NOLA History Guy Facebook page. Believe me, we're going to, you know, most of the stuff's going to end up on both of them anyway. So, so that's, you know, that, that's just fine. We're all about that. It's it's a it's a great relationship in that sense, and we're having we're having a lot of fun with it. You know, it's just 
just in general, you know. And so, and of course, in addition to that, uh, we've got the NOLA History Guy. Uh, NOLA History Guy is on Instagram. So all of the, you know, my daily stuff, plus promoting things like the podcast here and that sort of thing, will pop up in the Instagram feed. My NOLA History Guy Twitter, I've kind of changed that a little bit so that, you know, it's like a, my Yat Pundit was kind of just a whole lot of everything and politics and everything else. So I keep NOLA History Guy, I, I call it a hyper-local Twitter feed. Uh, you know, it's like it's a place where I can converse with my friends. It's not just a formal history delivery kind of thing. But if you, if, yeah, take a look. You like it, you like it. You don't, you know, it's Twitter, right? You know, it's no big deal. One other thing uh, <clears throat> on a tangent uh, in terms of the groups and everything is a, uh, is a, uh, a group that I created last year, actually a year before last in, in 18, uh, I've got a writing idea that deals with uh, New Orleans during the Southern Rebellion. And so uh, I created a, a page on, uh, well, actually, it's a group. Take that back. So it's another group. It's called New Orleans During the Civil War. And you're welcome to come in and take a look. It's got a very specific charter because I don't want to get into you know, civil war groups can be just such a hot mess at different times. The charter of this group is stuff that's related to New Orleans during the Southern Rebellion. So I'm kind of stretching that to be maybe 1855 to 1870. Well, I, I, 1850, I'm kind of putting more of a hard end on it because of Reconstruction, and that's a whole other nightmare um, in terms of arguments and that kind of thing. But for the most part, it's the war years themselves, the uh, the the 1861 to 1862, where the state seceded, but uh, but the 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 city is not uh, quote unquote at war yet. Then there's early 1862 and the invasion of New Orleans by Farragut and Porter, uh, and then the occupation by the Union Army from. Uh, May of 1862 to the end of the rebellion, where it's just all Union territory at that point. And it's like I say, it's a very specific focus. You know, Port Hudson is not part of the charter of this group. It's life in the city at the time, not the battles around it, and certainly not anything that's going on up in Georgia, Tennessee, and Virginia. So if that's of interest to you, then come on in, but just be aware that that you know the focus of that group is a bit limited all right here we go let's take another quick pause and then we're going to get into our final segment So we're going to kick off our uh pick of the week for today in new orleans uh history which uh is a blog uh, of, of it's a collection of all sorts of news events uh, posted that, that's uh, curated and, and, and maintained by Ms. Catherine Campanella, who's an author of a number of different Arcadia books on New Orleans and Metairie. Just some really wonderful stuff. Uh, tell you, you know, two places if you want to check out Campanella's, uh, you know, Catherine, this is Catherine Campanella, not related to uh, Richard Campanella, the professor at Tulane. Um, Ms. Campanella, should, uh, it, go over to Redasta's, uh, Redasta's Grocery, uh, po the, which is the po' boy shop over on um, on uh, on uh, Aris. Is it Aris or Phosis? It's Aris. On Aris, just off of Metairie Road in Old Metairie. Uh, it was originally Neighborhood Grocery. Now it's a big po' It's a po boy shop and restaurant, you know, plate lunch kind of place. Uh, and um, just tons of, of good stuff there. Uh, that you you know that you'll you'll find her books, and then uh, just the other day, just uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, just just the other day this week, I needed to get a couple of keys made, so I went to you know rather than going to the the big box store, I went down to the Ace Hardware in here in in the Metries on uh, Transcontinental, just off of uh, of West Esplanade, and the Ace Hardware store there. I walk in and. I, I walk in, I walk just a little bit to go, you know, hand the keys to the, the, the gentleman who worked there. And I'm greeted with my, my legendary locals of new Orleans book. And it's one of these Arcadia five foot, uh, four foot, uh, uh, spinning type book holders. And, uh, 
turn it and there's legendary locals of Metairie, which is Campanella's book, plus uh, her Lake Pontchartrain book. And then uh, some of the newer there's a you know, we've got the, you've got the historical images of America. Then you've got the images of modern America, which now, you know, because of changes and improvements in publishing, she's got several books in that uh, in that particular um in that particular series as well so you know go support local go go to go go get a po boy at redostas and go buy my book or actually go buy uh campanella's book uh there or, you know down at, at the hardware store i picked up a power strip because do i really need to go to amazon for a power strip to go well yeah ironically it's the power using the power strip to for the, the, the new Echo Dot that I just bought, you know, that kind of thing. But you get the idea. So anyway, go down there and, uh, and, and, and check that out. But Ms. Campanella's website, of course, and we've been doing this for a while, is neworleanspast.com. If you get to, if you approach, if you come at her for, uh, from, uh, if you come at her from Facebook, the page is, Today in New Orleans history. Now we'll put these on the on the um, on the show page, of course, so you'll get to it. But um, the this week the the pick of the week, if you will, is January fifteenth, and there's uh, because there are two streetcar things that happened on January fifteenth. That well, it's just that's my wheelhouse, and here we go, right? So. Uh, Two things. First off, was the uh, we'll start with the the earlier of the two, and that is the beginning of the two lane streetcar line, and the two lane streetcar line began life on January fifteenth, eighteen seventy one. So this is mule drawn days, and the idea you know, the, the 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 two lane streetcar basically uh, morphed into over time uh, as all of the mergers took place and uh, and by the time of New Orleans traction, New Orleans railway and light when uh, electrification took place, the two-lane streetcar became part of the St. Charles two-lane belt. And the idea there, we've talked about belt service and uh, we've got a whole podcast on it. We'll put, we'll put that up as well. Uh, and and the idea there is that you uh, the, uh, when the streetcars ran in belt service, you took the St. Charles line out and it ran in a circle so that you you know say you started at uh, at Canal and St. Charles or actually Common and St. Charles, and then the streetcar went up to Carrollton Avenue and made the big turn. And then uh, what happened was, of course, is that uh, now the canal, you know, the St. Charles Streetcar ends at Canal and Claiborne. You know, it's a point to loop kind of situation. Uh, but uh, when the when the streetcar line ran in belt service, basically it went, uh, went up Carrollton Avenue all the way to Tulane and then took a right turn on Tulane and then went back into town and ended up back on Canal Street. So it just kept going in this circle that way. And then uh, what happened was that the Tulane line would go on Canal Street and then go out on uh, go outbound on two lane so it would go from you know basically just go up two lane avenue to uh, to Carrollton and then it would turn and go down Carrollton to St. Charles and then continue to go down St. Charles back to Canal Street so one line ran in one direction the other ran in the other direction uh, and the two lane line uh, originally dates all the way back to January 15th of 1871, which is the mule-drawn days. It was electrified in the late 1890s, then went into belt service for years and years and years. And then um, eventually the belt service, uh, well, the the um, belt service ran for 50 years. It was like 1900 to 1951. And um, <clears throat> at that point in, 1950, uh, in uh, 1951, on January 8th, is when the two-lane streetcar was discontinued and uh, was replaced by uh, uh, trackless trolleys, the electric trolley buses, and eventually just became a regular uh, diesel bus service uh, over time. So uh, it ran in belt service for 50 years uh, is basically the idea there. Uh, we'll put up, I've got, we did a whole podcast on riding the belt because uh, the canal and Esplanade lines also operated in belt service until the night, you know, from basically the same time from about 1905 to 19, 
32 or so. I have to, my dates are fuzzy. Uh, the best story I can, one of the best stories about riding the belt, you've got to read Earl Higgins's book, The Joy of Yat Catholicism. And he's got a whole section where he talks about riding the belt for seven cents, you know, and you could basically never get off the streetcar. So if you were a college student and you had three chapters of a textbook to read, you just, you know, snug yourself up back on the on the two lane streetcar and just ride that thing. You just never had to get off because there was no end of the line kind of situation. Go. Yeah. Okay, it's the joy of yet Catholicism. And it's a great book. So that's entry number one uh, from Campanella for uh, January 5th. The other one is uh, part of the same discontinuation, if you will, uh, moves that Nopsy did in the 1950s, basically throughout the post-war period. You know, prior to World War II, New Orleans Public Service Incorporated wanted to get rid of streetcars. And, you know, you, you have all the things about that. But, you know, you, in New Orleans, the biggest thing was it was primarily a labor issue because streetcars, uh, uh, the, the city and the union required two, uh, two-man operation or now two-person operation since we had the motorettes during the war. Um, you had a motorman or a motorette and then a conductor. So you had uh, somebody running, somebody actually operating the streetcar and then you had a conductor who would uh pay you know, collect the fares make change and issue transfers and um and that was required basically the law required that the that the streetcar run in two-man operation but from the get-go buses only had only needed a driver so you only had one person so every time you discontinued a streetcar line your labor, you could cut your labor cost in half. And that was one of the deals. So a lot of that was going on prior to the war. You know, they got rid of the Esplanade line uh, in the 30s and other smaller lines were converted to bus service or trackless trolley service. Uh, and then, of course, the, the war put a stop to that because uh, the because buses needed uh, rubber tires and diesel fuel. And Jeeps and uh, tanks with their tracks needed, uh, well, yeah, I, I, all of them needed gas and diesel, uh, rubber for tires, you know, just these were, were very important war commodities. So the War Department said, no, you know, no, no more. Keep your streetcars, okay? We'll talk about it once we finish this business. So uh, in, the, in the late 1940s, you know, from, from uh, you know, the end of the war, uh, into the 50s, you start seeing Nopsy aggressively converting a lot of streetcar lines to buses. That's where we come into January 15th, 1950, was the last run of the West End streetcar line. Now, the West End streetcar basically started up on Canal Street, uh, you know, was in town, Canal and Rampart specifically. Uh, over time, there were modifications to that because the West End, you know, with the, um, with the turnaround at Liberty Place, the West End line would eventually basically just would go all the way to the end of Canal, turn around, stop at the terminal there right by the, the Louisville and Nashville Station and the customs house, Custom House, and... Um, and then it would just go on its big, long, outbound run. It would go down the 4.3 miles of Canal Street, hit City Park Avenue, but the, now it took a left turn to go towards the New Basin Canal, uh, then made a right turn at the canal and went down the east bank of the uh, New Basin Canal on West End Boulevard, uh, it was called, you know, of course, the whole thing was called West End because it was the West End of the city, the West End of Orleans Parish, essentially. So it uh, went all the way down, uh, went all the way up, I should say, to the lake uh, and all of the uh, cool entertainment stuff that was out there. The wet, Originally, the West End uh, line uh, was run by the New Orleans, was uh, originated by the New Orleans City Railroad Company. It was actually a railroad for a while. It was a, it was steam operation. But as people started populating mid-city and uh, a little bit into Lakeview, the noise and everything, this is a similar story of uh, Saint, what happened with the St. Charles line, uh, the steam operation just wasn't cutting. It wasn't acceptable uh, to the neighborhood and to you know to to people uh, living in and around it. So uh, then the the, um, the the streetcar was uh, was con the, the line I should say was converted was electrified and um, and 
basically followed Canal, but can, kept going. You know, it's basically the Canal Street line was running in belt service. Uh, it took a right turn and then headed uh, down City Park Avenue to Esplanade and then down Esplanade and then circled back at Rampart. And then the Esplanade line did the opposite of that. Uh, the West End line hit, uh, hit the, the, the end of Canal Street, made that left turn and then followed over. That's where the jazz club called the Halfway House, of course, gets its name because more or less that uh, that turn uh, at City Park Avenue and then turn again to follow the canal was ha the halfway point of the West End line. So this ran for a good long time, uh, you know, uh, from the, uh, you know, in, in steam service and, uh, from 1860s to the 1890s, electric from eight, the 1890s all the way up to January 15th, 1850, uh, excuse me, January 15th, 1950, when uh, the line was then converted to the maroon and cream buses, the, the GM uh, new looks, oh, old looks buses. And, uh, and it's been, well, it's kind of been a bus line ever since. Uh, the, the line actually uh, named as West End operated for a number of years. And then when the Canal Streetcar was discontinued in 1964, uh, in 1964, the um, the bus service was uh, was restructured and reorganized. So you had the, the uh, Canal Cemeteries, Canal Lake Vista via Canal Boulevard, and Canal Lakeshore via Robert E. Lee. And um, the idea there was that the Lakeshore bus line, what uh, what that did was it, uh, at this point now you have the, the Pontchartrain Expressway and the, the new Basin Canal is gone. So the, um, the bus line would follow uh, Pontchartrain Boulevard. So it would go to the, what would, would then be the the west side of the uh, of the canal instead of the east side it would cro basically just cross over the, uh, un you know cross the underpass uh, the overpass on the expressway and then make a right turn there and uh, go in front of Metairie Cemetery in front of Lake Lawn Cemetery in front of uh, well, uh, Old New Orleans Academy, and now that's a, um, a subdivision and everything there. Then go uh, all the way up to the 17th Street Canal and then double back to Fleur de Lis uh, and then eventually get back to uh, the, the bus would, would, would curve around on would, would curve around on veterans and then make a left turn so that or make a uh, make a right turn, sorry, and uh, then a left turn onto um, West End Boulevard. And it would go all the way up West End to Robert E. Lee, and eventually it would go to uh, from uh, Robert E. Lee. It would make a left turn onto Canal Boulevard, and eventually end up at the lake at Canal uh, Canal Boulevard and the lake. Whereas the uh, Lake Vista bus would go out to Spanish Fort. Uh, but anyway, so that all started uh, with the the West End line uh, conversion in 1950. Then the West End bus kind of vanished for. Uh, for decades, then when uh, then the West End uh, RTA kind of resurrected the the West End line and gave it that name again in the uh, in the 2000s. But then after Hurricane Katrina, the line was consolidated so that it runs basically a big loop through Lakeview. So it's known as the Lakeview line now. And so yeah, January 15th was a big deal. The two the the two lane Streetcar line started in 1871 uh, and ends up running all the way to January 8th to just a week before in 1951. And then the West End line, which had been for just years, it was one of the, you know, just a mainstay of getting out and day tripping out to the lake. And we've talked about that a whole bunch. Um, and it kind of met its fate in 1950, all on January 8th, January 15th. So that's our, our thing for this week. And we'll post the links to that and uh, kind of, you know, give you a feel for days gone by, you know, that kind of thing. So this is fun, good streetcar stories there. Uh, if you have good stories about going out to West End on the streetcar or on the bus, well, on the streetcar, geez, that's 50. I mean, that's getting to be 70 years ago now. So you know how that goes. Uh, but if you have stories about taking the bus, you know, it's like the that that Canal Lakeshore bus was a big deal for me getting home from Brother Martin and everything. You know, sure, tell us. You know, like I said, come out to uh, 
Come out to the NOLA History Guy page on Facebook or New Orleans Uncovered, the group. Post pictures if you got them, that kind of thing. Sure, by all means, please do. Or uh, ping us on Twitter or you know, even shoot me an email or go out you know, comment on the website. You know, there's a whole bunch of places to do it. So, uh, and, you know, like I say, re- reward hard work. You know, Ms. Campanella puts up all this stuff. Go buy her book. Hey, go buy my books too, right? But seriously, go buy, you know, go go buy her books. Go out to, you know, go out to these places that sell the Arcadia books, whether it's a an Ace Hardware store or Redasta's Po' Boys or the Walgreens stores that sell the books. You know, you know, support, you know, kind of support the local there a little bit, that kind of thing. You run into me and you buy something of mine, I'll be more than happy to to, to sign it. You know, it okay, and that's our show for you this week. Book, I'm flattered. Uh, yeah, so I'm, we're looking forward. That. It's going to be a fun 2020. We're going to you know kind of get out of the fog of 2019 a little bit and 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 move forward here. You know, we've got a lot of things to talk about and a lot of things to share and some some plans for doing it. So by all means, you know, uh, come you know stay on you know stay on the streetcar with us and and come along for the ride so uh hope you enjoyed our our talk about the the photo breakdown if you have a photo you would love to see broken down by the way go to the new orleans uncovered facebook group or or ping me on social media one way or the other and let me know what the photo is and you know, yeah, we'll break it down. This is fun stuff. You know, these conversations are, are great. Uh, so by all means, do that. You know, stay in touch. Um, we'll keep you updated on what's going on. Definitely, you know, if you're an Instagram person, follow us there. If you're a Facebook per- person, we've got all of that stuff going there. So uh, or just, you know, keep up with us on the website, nolahistoryguide.com. All right, you guys take care. Go out, have a great, uh, have a great rest of your weekend, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Bye.